Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, or as it's known for short among her friends, the cesspool of hellacious corruption and dishonesty bent on elevating a desiccated soulless hag to the highest office in the land. I can't tell you what her enemies call it. But in any case, the campaign has been searching for a response to FBI Director James Comey's announcement that he is investigating a new catch of Hillary's emails. While at a beauty salon preparing for her next appearance, Hillary Clinton said she wanted to send this message to Comey. Well, listen, Hick. I was too much for any big city police force to handle. They tried, but they couldn't. Put the United States government have been a rap on me. Yeah, and they won't make it stick. Oh, you hick. I'll be back pulling strings to get guys elected mayor and governor before you ever get a ten-buck raise. But before the campaign settled on that response, they rejected a number of other suggestions. And today, Project Clavitas, a 501c3 nonprofit charitable corporation designed to funnel money into my personal offshore account, has recovered those suggested responses. Here's the list of Clinton responses to the latest scandal that were rejected by her campaign. Number one, claim that this investigation is part of the same vast right-wing conspiracy that falsely accused Bill Clinton of having an affair with an intern in the Oval Office. Number two, run screaming through the streets, look behind you, Donald Trump is coming, run for your life, then shriek loudly in hopes of causing a panic. Number three, admit that you made a mistake in using a private server, but point out that you only did it to hide your other illegal activities. Number four, Admit that you've been a naughty girl in a sultry, seductive voice and then hike up the hem of your pantsuit and say, but how'd you like a piece of this action, huh, big boy? You can see why they rejected some of these. Uh, <laughs> number five, point out that after centuries of American men oppressing women by working to support them and their children, the only way these men can properly atone for their crimes is by electing a lesbian president. Number six, Point out that Uma Abedin worked for a radical Islamic magazine and has ties to the Islamic Brotherhood, and therefore anyone who has a problem with Hillary's classified emails appearing on her computer is clearly Islamophobic. Number seven, point out that America's economy is suffering, her wars overseas are getting worse, and corruption has run rampant through the highest levels of government, and therefore the legacy of Barack Obama must be preserved. Number eight, Shame Donald Trump for saying he can get away with molesting women just because he's a celebrity by producing women who claim he molested them, but they never said anything about it because he's a celebrity. Number nine, tell the public that the presidency is yours by right and anyone who stands in your way is going to get it in the neck big time, believe you me. And number 10, confess to your crimes, beg for forgiveness, resign from the presidential race because America deserves better, get a reality TV show, become a star, then run for president. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. You never get the song out of your head. It's like the earworm to end all earworms. This earworm like eats the other earworms in your head. <laughs> it's like, all right. Uh, it's November 1st. The, November has come. 
that means tomorrow it's the mailbag. So this is the time to subscribe. You know, we have all these great deals going on now. You know, if you only pay $1.99, it will take all the ads. I did not know this until recently. You pay $1.99, it'll take all the ads off the site for you. So you can come to the site ad-free. And if you pay the lousy 8 bucks a month, it's free. for You get a month for free, I think. And then it's 8 bucks a month, and you can be in the mailbag. Send in your questions for tomorrow. We answer them all. Otherwise, your questions go unanswered. You know, I mean, that's that's the way it works. So we had a, a party. Jeremy Boring, the God King of the Daily Wire, held a Halloween party at his house last night. And our cultural correspondent, the much beloved Michael Knowles, shows up <laughs> dressed. I wish some, we should have taken a picture of him. I couldn't I couldn't bear. Do you have a picture of him? Yeah. Can you put it up? <laughs> he shows up. He shows up dressed in a short Pocahontas skirt wearing a blonde wig because he's Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> so he's not only culturally, he's not only culturally appropriating uh, the Indians, he's, <laughs> can you see it? Can we see it? Let's see if we can get a, he, he's not only culturally appropriating the Indians, he's culturally appropriating somebody who's culturally appropriating the Indians. <laughs> Do we get it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. And that on top that was on top of of course uh, Shapiro putting up his thug thug life thing with Taylor poor Taylor our beautiful makeup ladies on the back and now everybody on my Twitter feed <laughs> did you put it on yeah. oh good all right so that you can't get that out of your head right <laughs> so now everybody on my Twitter feed is making these obscene remarks about how lovely Taylor is because my my followers are like twelve year old kids you know <laughs> it's like ah there's a babe <laughs> I mean it's flattering. But have a little cooth, you people. <laughs> Just a little bit of class. That's all I ask. All right. Absolute hilarity is ensuing in this uh, political season, I have to say, in the wake of Comey, you know, coming up with these emails. Remember, rem remember Clavin's second rule of MSM journalism, right? If the scandal is on the right, the story is the scandal. If the scandal is on the left, the story is what kind of rotten guy got this scandal in what kind of illegal way? So it's all Comey. Here's from Newsbusters. Ever since it was announced on Friday that the FBI was pursuing new leads into the investigation of Hillary Clinton's email server scandal, the big three networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, have gone into attack mode against James Comey, turning what should be a scandal about Clinton into a smear against the FBI director. This is Clay Clavin's second rule. Do you have that chart? Did you get that chart I sent this? So like, this, this is how much of the coverage is about Comey and how much of it is about Hillary Clinton. Uh, beginning on, with the evening of the announcement through Monday morning, MRC, that's the Media Research Council, uh, analysts, what's that? Center, Media Resources Center. Analysts reviewed all statements by reporters, analysts, and partisans that took a position on Comey and Clinton and found arguments against Comey swamped those against Clinton by a ratio of almost 3-1. The, one, the New York Times is is going insane in real time. It's like it's like journalism dying as you watch it. Like you just you open the New York Times. And the New York Times many people don't know this. It used to be a newspaper. <laughs> it used to be a newspaper. And you pick it up. Here's here's their story on Trump today. Donald Trump used legally dubious method to avoid paying taxes. The translation of that is Donald Trump used legal methods to avoid paying taxes. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, and, that's, and we're supposed to care about this. And it says this method was so legally dubious that the law that allowed it was repealed many years later. This is their news story. <laughs> the other, and the other one, the other one, of course, is that the investigation into the connections between his campaign and Russia have come up.
up with nothing. All right. So this is uh, let's let's hear Hillary. This is how Hillary is pushing it. Why in the world the FBI would decide to jump into an election with no evidence of any wrongdoing with days to go? That's a good question. <laughs> and first of all, for those of you who are concerned about my using personal email, I understand. And as I've said, I'm not making excuses. I've said it was a mistake and I regret it. And now they apparently want to look at emails of one of my staffers. And by all means, uh, they should look at them. And I am sure they will reach the same conclusion they did when they looked at my emails for the last year. There is no case here. So, so Morning Joe put out this compilation, how, how the Democrats reacted to Comey after he didn't indict her. Because that, that's, that's her big argument, right? That is basically her campaign slogan, vote for me, I'm unindicted, right? So when, when Comey didn't indict her, this was the reaction among Democrats. What I do know is this, that uh, there was an extensive, as you know, Brad, investigation by the FBI under the direction of a wonderful uh, and tough career public servant, Jim Comey. He's somebody with the highest uh, standards of integrity. I think Director Comey could not have been more exhaustive. I am grateful for the professionalism of the FBI and the Department of Justice. This is a great man. We are very privileged in our country to have him uh, be the director of the FBI. No one can question the integrity, the competence. I don't know whether your family's watching this, but I hope that they are as proud of you <laughs> as I am. We are so proud of you, Jim. God, it's like we're, we feel like your parents. We're so proud of you. And I love that Harry Reid is in there. Harry Reid is now on the floor of the Senate accusing him of violating the Hatch Act, which forbids any employee of a federal agency of interfering with, with elections. Reed, who's, he's, not only is he slime, he's cowardly slime, because when you speak on the, on the floor of the Senate, you can't be sued. That's why he was always demonizing the Koch brothers. The Koch brothers, just these guys who believe in free enterprise, who contribute to candidates who support free enterprise. Not like, not like George Soros, like this guy in his tower, like the guy, what's the, who's the evil guy from Lord of the Rings, you know, who's in the... Yeah, that's right. you know, he's up there in his tower plotting to, you know, to control the whole world. You know, the Koch brothers are giving a little money to their candidates and he's demonizing, but always on the Senate floor so he can't get sued. He's such a slime. The president, meanwhile, isn't playing. He's, he's forget about it. This is Josh Ernst, the president's spokesman. The president's assessment of his integrity and his character uh, has not changed. For example, the president doesn't believe that Director Comey is intentionally trying to influence the outcome of an election. The president doesn't believe that he's secretly strategizing to benefit one candidate or one political party. He's in a tough spot. You see, I, I have believed this for a long time. There are a lot of people who are afraid that Obama is going to, like, pardon Hillary or something. It's possible, vaguely possible, that if she gets elected, he might do something like that to, you know, keep the investigators off her case. But... In, in Barack Obama's mind, Barack Obama is the greatest president who ever lived. There's Barack Obama and then maybe Lincoln. And that, this is in Barack Obama's mind. There is no – he hates this woman. He thinks she's dirty because Obama is not dirty in the way she is. He's not money dirty the way she is. There's no way he's sacrificing his legacy – to get her off the hook. I mean, then he's just Gerald Ford. He's just this guy who, like, let somebody, got somebody off the hook. He's a machine, Paul. And everything she does after that is on him. 
You know, and I don't think I don't think uh, Obama's going to go there. I don't think he's going to go there. So meanwhile, I just have to play a little bit more of this because some of it is so funny. James Carville goes on TV. Listen, listen to him. He's just gone, gone absolutely nuts. Here he is. He was acting in concert and coordination with the House Republicans. End of story. Uh, he gave the letter to him. They gave it to Fox News. Also, we have the extraordinary case of the KGB being involved in this race and selectively leaking things from from, from the. Clinton uh, campaign that they had. So we, we, the American democracy is really under attack here. And the question is, how are we, and particularly how are Democrats going to respond to this? I mean, we have to understand, this is really, really quite extraordinary. And it would seem to me that the FBI shouldn't be getting rolled by the House Republicans. That, and, that's, and that's what happened here. There's, there's nothing else that's going on. And at the meantime, we do know that our democracy is under assault. By, by the KGB. I mean, to me, that's something we ought to be talking about. That's a very pertinent, re relevant issue in this campaign, and people have to decide: do we want, do we want our country for ourselves, or the people in charge, or are we going to let the, the KGB and the House Republicans decide this election? I love it because the KGB is in line with the Republicans, who are in line with Fox News, who are in line. You know, it's like it's all, it's a massive blot. And 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 that's not even the best one. The, my favorite, here's my favorite, is from Robin Lakoff, professor of linguistics, writing in Time Magazine. You can't. I'm, yeah, I'm not making this. You know what? I got to say goodbye if you're on Facebook and YouTube, but you can come over to the Daily Wire and hear the rest. And you should subscribe and send in questions for the mailbag tomorrow. Here's my favorite reaction, my favorite reaction to this. From Robin Lakoff, professor of linguistics in Time magazine. I am mad. I am mad because I am scared. And if you are a woman, you should be too. Email gate is a bitch hunt. But the target is not Hillary Clinton. It's us. <laughs> the only reason the whole email flap has legs is because the candidate is female. Can you imagine this happening to a man? Clinton is guilty of SWF, speaking while female. <laughs> email gate is just a reminder to us all that she has no business doing what she's doing and must be punished for the sake of all decent women everywhere. There is so much of that going around. FBI Chief James Comey has shown himself to be a bully. He has repeatedly talked down to Clinton, admonishing her as a bad parent with a five-year-old. He has accused her of poor judgment and called her use of private email server extremely careless. If Comey's a Boy Scout, there's one old lady who will never help him, let him help her across the street. If the, oh, my God. If the candidate were male, there would be no scolding and no scandal. Those very ideas would be absurd. Men have a, a, a nearly absolute right to freedom of speech. First of all, I love the fact that you... <laughs> Do women believe this stuff? I, I, I don't know. Is anyway? I love the fact that he accuses she accuses Comey of treating Clinton like a, a five year old, and her piece starts. I am mad. I am, it sounds just like a five year old. I am mad. I am mad because I said something I didn't like, and now it's about something else that I don't like. And I was like, unbelievable. unbelievable. All right. So is this going to change anything? Is this going to have an effect? The real clear politics. You know, just forget forget about the nationwide polls, because what do they mean? We elect people. We don't elect people that way. We elect people by an electoral college. Real clear politics on its polls, which are an average of polls, has Hillary Clinton up 263 to 164, with 270 obviously needed to win. 
Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Nevada, North Carolina, and Ohio are toss-ups. This comes from uh, Ricochet's newsletter. Plus, uh, Maine's second congressional district, Trump would need to run the table and win all of those to get elected president. So he's still behind. He is still behind. However, Pat Cadell, my friend and a a former uh, Carter pollster, went on and was talking about the fact that the Carter-Reagan election shifted in the last weekend, that they went Carter and Reagan, he was doing polls the whole time, they went into the weekend, tied, and came out, and it was a landslide for Reagan. And he says he sees something of that here. There never had been a presidential election since we've had polling that went into the last weekend close and came out a landslide. The reason is because once the dam broke, uh, uh, then okay. once the dam broke on the economy, because both can both candidates, although nothing like this year, were viewed unfavorably. And you think the dam is and about to break? Now? I have been looking at the data. People who are unfavorable to both, what I call the volatile yep. mix, which is 12, 15 percent of the election. That electorate that was before Friday. They are massively against. Well, all those things I said structurally, you can see them moving against the status quo, the incumbent who is essentially Hillary Clinton. Um, now, and my sense is they were going to break, that it's looking like it's going to break. Now with this latest information, I believe that is the popper. Wow. And I think this thing could open up significantly before it's over. The reason I, I put this on, by the way, I'm not all that big on pollsters and all this, but Pat, uh, I, I known him for quite a while, and I pay. I have this annoying habit of paying attention to people's predictions. And what people do is they don't remember their wrong predict- predictions; they remember their right ones, and and they always think they're getting everything right. Pat is pretty good, you know. He's I would say of the people that I listen to, he his predictions either turn out to be true, or the reason that they're untrue has to do with something that he, that he couldn't have known, you know? So, like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I still think I still think Clinton's got it, but it's obviously, it's obviously in flux. So let's talk for a minute about a Donald Trump presidency, since it's a possibility. Let's talk about it. Because this is, this is interesting. I mean, this is a website. Obviously, Ben Shapiro is one of the leading never-Trumpers out there. And, and I have not been fr- friendly to Trump, even though I've, I have admitted that I'm probably going to vote for him because I believe Hillary Clinton is too wired into the corruption in the government to, to allow her to be president. And the difference between me and Ben is not what we see. It's that I think this is a binary choice, and he doesn't. It, it wouldn't be a binary choice if they were equally bad. If I thought that they were equally bad, I would say I'm walking away. But my country has given me a choice between two people I dislike uh, intensely, and I feel I... In, in loyalty to my country, I have to make the choice of the best one possible. That's, I, I can't get past that. The, to me, and everything after that is sophistry. That's the, the simple thing that's right in front of me. It's one or the other. It's going to be one or the other. I should, I should make a choice, even though I'm in California and it doesn't matter much. So we all look, we, we all predict the future. And in predicting the future, we're connecting the dots. But dots can be connected in different ways. So let's connect the dots in a happy way, just, just for change of pace. <laughs> you know, for one thing, I, I want to dismiss, first of all, this idea that you're betraying your values if you vote for somebody of poor character. I have never been a character voter. And the reason is, is because I'm an artist and some of the greatest art ever made has been made by people who are just awful. Percy Shelley, one of the greatest poets who ever lived, terrible, terrible human being. The same is true in politics. I mean, Wellington was a, a philanderer and an adulterer. Uh, Nelson was a philanderer and an adulterer. Would you have had Britain get conquered by France, you know, to make sure that they were being led by the proper people? Uh, John F. Kennedy, who was a, did, did some good things, cut taxes, was an excellent Cold Warrior. 
guy was sleeping with two women at a time while he was supposed to be making decisions in the Oval Office. Not a great president, I don't think, but still, still a good leader. And and still, you know, there was no there was no connection with his between his character and his abilities as a president. I just don't think it's that kind of. Uh, when I'm talking about character, I'm talking about the things that the news media call character, which is usually sex. That's usually what they mean by character. It's usually a code word for sex. Obviously, there are things about a character like dishonesty, uh, corruption, money corruption, uh, political corruption like Obama's politically corrupt. Those are the things that I think destroy our government and destroy our country and undercut our country. If a guy is cheating on his wife, but he's not taking graft and he's following the Constitution, it's none of my business. That's So I've never been a values voter, so let me just put that part of it aside. The real question is, what will Trump do? And it's hard to know because his word is not good. You know, he doesn't stick to his word. And this is a, a, a real problem. But but to dismiss another of my misgivings, one of my biggest misgivings about Trump has been his the, that underlying fascism, authoritarianism in his character, that thing where he started out, you know, beat up these the protesters and I'm going to tell the military what to do and they'll have to obey me whether it's the law or not and all these things. He's he's moved past some of that, but I unfortunately I feel that some of it is embedded in who he is and that's what worries me. I am very very strongly confident that we are not living in a fascist world that Donald Trump can, in a fascist nation that Donald Trump can take advantage of. You know, people are always going to Hitler. Hitler came to power at a time when the German currency was worth nothing. They had been de just destroyed by war. You know, we're not in that situation. This is this country is still quite strong despite some of its fundamental weaknesses. I do not think that the evil in Trump's character is going to be able to come to the fore. And I think the entire government a mechanism is going to be opposing him in many ways, and I think that that's a good thing. That's the checks and balances that we built the country for. The country was built to handle people like Donald Trump. I think it will handle him. I'm not afraid of him. You know, that's that's another thing. So lower taxes, that's good. Better judges than we get with Hillary. I'm not sure we'll get the judges he promises us, but maybe we might. We might. You know, and, and better judges than we're going to get with Hillary. I think. And probably a better response to health care. Of all the things that I like, his, his response to Obamacare, I know that he has spoken about a single-payer, you know, government health care, and that's worked here and there, but he's kind of come past that. And when you go on his website, the thing that he's proposing, which does include a sort of bottom-line health insurance for people who can't afford anything, um, is good. And his immigration policy is going to be what any Republican's policy, as I told you, as I have been telling you since this the primaries began. They're all going to do the same thing. They will tighten the border, and then they're going to find a way that the people who are here can live because they're not going to be deporting millions of people. It's just not going to happen. You can you can leave your nasty, angry comments <laughs> in the website. It's not going to happen. So, But those are all good things. Now, that, that he will drag the party to the left. Yes, he will. He believes in big government. He has no sense of the Constitution. He has no sense of um, you know, of, of lessening uh, entitlements, which are eating away at our economy. He has none of that. He's, he hasn't promised any of it. It's going to be, I, would, I think it might be harder for a guy like Ryan to get the reforms to entitlement that he wants with Trump than it is with Hillary. I could be wrong about that. He will drag the party to the left. Is that going to be the death of conservatism? Of course it's not. Of course it's not. Ideas don't die. You know, at this party, I was talking to Jonathan Hay and, you know, our producer, and normally we just think of him as a piece of furniture. You know, we don't try, we try not to, you know, talk to him because he just gets excited. But <laughs> he put forward, he put forward the brilliant point 
that socialism has failed everywhere. It has failed everywhere. And it keeps coming back, you know. And yes, socialism is a, is a form of decay, and decay is inherent in every human situation, so it is going to come back. But conservatism can take a hit and come back. You know, not only can conservatism take a hit and come back, but the, the country can take a hit and come back. And, and this is, you know, I, I have been quoting this backstage to Jeremy and to Ben a lot, but the, the other day it was quoted in the, uh, by the historian Andrew Roberts in the Manhattan Institute's Riston Lecture. So I feel, I feel even more justified in quoting it. When, when Britain lost the United States, when Britain lost America in the Revolution, somebody came to Adam Smith, the great prophet of capitalism, who wrote The Wealth of Nations, and they said, he said, Britain is ruined. And Adam Smith said, there's a great deal of ruin in a nation, meaning we're not ruined. It's, you know, we're gonna take, we're gonna t we've taken a hit. We've taken a hit. Now think about this for a second. They just lost the great continent, the biggest continent in the West. They had just lost the future of the English-speaking people. That's basically what they lost. And, and yet from that moment, they went on to build one of the greatest empires ever known to man. It was from then, not, it was not before then, it was after that, that they built the great Victorian empire that really has st still affects all of our lives and really has civilized so much of the world and brought civilization to so much of the world. Imagine what right-wing radio would have said to Adam Smith when he said that. No, 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 this is over, it's done, it's over, it's finished, we're finished, it's over, it's finished, you know, they, they, I mean, I hear this repeatedly all the time on all the stations, on all the talkers, it ain't finished, the country is going to survive, no matter which of these two people get elected, the country is going to survive, I think that Donald Trump may do some good things, I don't think he's going to make America great again, I don't think he's going to save us, I don't think he's going to destroy us, but, but, of all the good things, of all the good things, the best will be watching the heads of the elites explode on the day he wins. That would be the best thing of all. And the reason is because it's because they've become arrogant, they've become corrupt, they've become out of control. How does a, a, a network like NBC, how does a network like ABC, how does a network like CBS justify coming to work every day and telling you the lies they tell? telling you the slanted news they tell. How can they justify that? They can't. And this at least would send them a signal that we hate them this much. <laughs> this is how much we hate them. We hate them even unto Donald Trump. And that would be the best thing of all because I think that message needs to be sent. I think there are a lot of good things that could come of a Trump presidency. I'll tell you, I, I, I can even see one or two good things coming of a Clinton presidency, but I think the level of corruption just overcomes them all. It just overcomes them all. So, you know, but either way, we will survive. We will survive. So now I want to do stuff I like. You know, now I'm done with the Halloween stuff I like. One thing that I've tried all the time with stuff I like is to recommend stuff that I thought you might actually look at, which meant, you know, a few people are going to go out and read huge books, especially old books. People don't like new stuff. They like movies. They like TV. However, however, much of the stuff that has formed the, mind, the Western mind is old, right? It, we, come, we come from someplace. And a lot of it a lot of our classics are maybe a little bit more difficult to read. So I want to just every now and again do something called Stuff I Like Best of All. <laughs> okay? <laughs> this is stuff I like more than anything else because I feel that it is, it addresses some of the deepest issues that confront us. And I want to talk about crime and punishment. Now, every novelist, and I've, I'm a novelist, that's how I've made my living all my life, Every novelist gets asked what's his favorite novel. And I don't have a favorite novel because I like so many of them and there are so many great ones. But Crime and Punishment is the novel that affected me more than any 
book I've ever read. And I've read it now three times at least, maybe more. When I was coming up through the universities, this relativism, moral relativism, multiculturalism was just making its inroads into uh, the intellectual world. And crime and punishment is what stopped me from going down that road. I mean, I, it took me years to finally break free of it, but crime and punishment is the reason I broke free of it. It's by Fyodor Dostoevsky, obviously. It was written in, it was published in 1866. It was first, uh, parts of it were published in 1866. And it's a, a crime story. It's a story about a guy who decides that a gr great men are above morality. And this was a theory that was going around because of Napoleon, because of Napoleon's successes, where you know, everybody was so impressed with Napoleon. Was he above morality? And this is about a, a, a student, a former student, who is going mad. He's uh, declining into poverty. And he decides that he is above morality, and therefore he can commit murder. And it's what happens to him. And it asks essentially the question, is there a moral law within that when it is violated, has repercussions whether you get caught or not and you know if you go back to William Shakespeare the plays of William Shakespeare this is what almost all of them are about the people who murder who commit crimes those crimes come back even even though they seem to uh, succeed they may win the crown they may, may become king but the ghosts of the people they kill always come back to haunt them and Fyodor Dostoevsky is exploring whether this is true or not, whether the Christian idea that there is some kind of uh, relationship between our idea of morality and God's idea of morality is true. Now, this, the interesting thing about this is it come, it's written 20 years before Nietzsche comes along and declares that because God is dead, there is no ultimate morality, and therefore what we're looking for is a genealogy of morals. We're looking for all we can do is discuss where our morals come from and understand them. And this has become this became like deconstructionism, went on to become deconstructionism, postmodernism, multiculturalism, this idea that all morality is relative. Crime and punishment answered that question before he was Dostoevsky was a, a prophet. He was a seer. He saw the communists coming, and, and he wrote a, a, a book that's very difficult to read called The Devils. It's it's not a good book anymore. But he just the devils are the communists. He sees them coming. The devils are the communists. But crime and punishment. He sees Nietzsche coming. He knows where the world is going. He knows where the intellectual world is going, and he just says, "You're wrong. You're wrong." You know, he know, I think he probably knows they're not going to listen to him, but he just leaves his marker. And it's a great novel. It is a great novel. It's not an easy novel to read. It's, it, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of writing in it. It's very dense. It's very dense. But it is a brilliant, brilliant novel. And this question, this question of whether, of whether you know, my son uh, Spencer, who is a uh, classic scholar, was saying to me, this, this question was there before Christ that before Christ came along, the Greeks were debating whether or not you know, there was any uh, center to relativism. And Christianity sort of answered that question. That's the meeting between Pilate and Jesus. You know, the oldest piece of uh, papyrus we have with the Gospels on it is this meeting between uh, Pontius Pilate and Jesus, where Jesus says, those who love the truth hear my voice. And Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? How can you define it? And so this question has been with us forever. And Christianity answers that, answers the question, and Dostoevsky, who became a Christian after spending time in, in prison, 
he answers this question in Crime and Punishment. It is a great murder novel. It's probably the greatest crime novel ever written. I say this as a crime novel. It's probably the greatest crime novel ever written. It's a brilliant novel, and it is central to, to the way we think and the way we should think, and it's an answer to all these people who are taking us down the, this bad, bad road of relativism. All right, stuff I like best of all, Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. We will be back tomorrow with the mailbag. Send in your questions now. They will be answered, guaranteed 100% correct answers, and 98.7% guaranteed to change your life for the better. And look at your life. I mean, come on. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. We'll see you tomorrow.